Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Omis, episode 114. Hey, Richers, this is Hayut, and I'm so happy to be here. Today we have a special episode where four of the most successful entrepreneurs talk about their biggest failure and their biggest success. And what we found out is that usually the roots for the biggest failure are exactly the factors that will lead to your success. So there is a lot to learn in today's episode. And if you want to learn more about what causes failures for entrepreneurs and how to turn it to actionable steps for success, you are more than welcome to join us to the next masterclass, free masterclass. And you can find it in our website, reachomis.com, or on the show notes over this interview in the website. And now, let's talk about failures and successes. The tight connection between the biggest failure and the biggest success of most successful entrepreneurs. During the last two years of interviewing most successful entrepreneurs and opinion leaders in the world of entrepreneurship, I was surprised to learn about the tight connection between the causes that led entrepreneurs to their biggest failures and the main factors behind their biggest successes. My advice to entrepreneurs struggling to find the breakthrough to success would be to study the roots for their failure. The answer is most likely there. And my first guest to talk about his failure and success is Antoine Martel. Listen carefully to Antoine's story about his failure and success and see how the same most important thing that led to his failure, the relationships with his audience, with his customers, and the level of trust he can trust them, led to his biggest success. Antoine Martel of Martel Teronki is a real estate investment expert from San Mateo, California. As a licensed real estate agent and experienced investor, Antoine helps new and seasoned investors realize their financial goals. His proven real estate investment strategies have enabled countless clients throughout California to realize passive income and financial freedom throughout of the state's turnkey rental properties. While still a student at Loyola Marymount University, Antoine had already begun immersing himself in learning the real estate industry, absorbing everything he could about real estate investing, how to set up a team, networking, calculating the numbers, recognize good deals, and much more. Antoine Martel is now a nationally recognized real estate expert with tens of thousands of followers. He is an inspiration to both millennials, and generations from every decade. 
And Juan Martel, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so great to have you. I would like to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that um, affected your entrepreneurial journey the most? Yeah. Or one of them? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great question. So I would say that it would probably be following up. So when I first started the first two years, I would go to meetups, I would have, you know, coffee meetings with people and, you know, then I just would never follow up. So I would go and have a, you know, one hour meeting or, you know, lunch, coffee or dinner with somebody. And then I would never reach out to them again. I wouldn't um, ask them, hey, how's it going? Did you take my advice or anything like that? I would just kind of let it be. And, uh, you know, there's hundreds of people that I that I met one on one in my first couple of years of doing this and that I just never reached out to again. So I think that, you know, it wasn't really a failure. It was just something that um, I wish I had done differently. But it's yeah. so important. It's, you, you're bringing such an important yeah. point. <laughs> I really love that. Yeah, I love that because you have chosen to look at it as kind of a failure because actually it, it's yeah. a lot of time and energy that you didn't use the way you exactly. uh, could use if you knew everything that you know today, which makes sense. It makes sense that uh, we don't know. But so you say that not reaching out to people, we can't really just count on the fact that they might like yeah. what you said. Yeah. And I would, and I wish, because the following up part is the easiest part of the whole thing. The hardest thing is scheduling a time to meet up with them and having that one hour meeting. It's very easy to text them a week later and set a reminder in your phone. It takes 10 seconds, but Um, yeah, that's just something that I wish I wish I had done. I have no idea where my business would be today if I had followed up with those, you know, 200 or 300 people. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine something that is more than 100 houses after two years. But okay, <laughs> it's, it's okay. How do you do that? What do you have again, a constant way or do you approach anyone in a different way? How do you follow up today? Yeah, so Yeah, that's a great question. So I keep my follow-ups very brief and very broad. And what I mean by that is I try to take as little amount of time of my time as possible to follow up. So a follow-up can be a text message or an email or a phone call and just be like, hey, we, we had coffee last week and we talked about this. I just wanted to follow up with you and see if there was anything I can do to help. Or if you talked about something in particular, did you ever reach out to this person or It can just be one sentence or two sentences about what you talked about and if they need any more help or any more advice. Um, and it could be as simple as that. There's other ways that I've used to kind of track your follow-ups. And I've actually, I got a CRM. So it manages yeah. all, of my, all of my leads and it sets weekly reminders to follow up with all of my leads. Um, so every single week, there's new tasks being created through that CRM, which... Let me know that it's time to follow up and send a short little message to somebody to see you know what their status is and if I can help in any way and what you're saying is that small message or text message that really makes a difference yep it does because then the people on the other end also know that you actually care now hmm. so they know that that coffee meeting wasn't just you know you weren't being a phony the whole time during the coffee meeting saying you can help in any way and you'll help them do this or that. Um, or you have some great, you know, some, somebody they should meet up with or somebody you can refer them to. But when you actually follow up, then people are, they actually think that that coffee meeting is, you know, or whatever you said over the phone or whatever it was that you actually meant it and that you're now reaching out to try to actually help. 
Um, and you actually differentiate yourself now from everybody else that they're meeting with because 99% of people don't do that and they don't follow up. It's amazing, right? Yep. It's amazing. You said it is so easy and most people aren't following up. Yep, absolutely. And then, so yeah. if you do follow up, now you differentiate yourself from everybody else. So especially if you have a product or a service um, like myself, right? So I go and have a meeting with somebody who wants to buy one of my products And they have a meeting with 10 other companies and I'm the only one who's, who's following <laughs> sure. up with them, whether, you know, even if it's just a message, you know, a sentence or two, it's still, I'm now on top of mind and, oh, wow, Antoine actually did follow up and all these other nine people didn't even care after the coffee meeting to send me a little note and say, hey, how's it going? You know, did you choose us or was somebody else? And it doesn't matter either way. I just want to see how you are. You know, who, who are they going to choose at the end of the day? It's going to be me because I continue to, to show that I care and I'm here and available. Wow. I love it. Now I would like you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success. Actually, you talked about success now, but you started from a failure. But as a result of something that you did right about customer focus or anything that you did right about approaching your customers, You can use the story before, but you can actually find some yeah. juicy success and tell us about it. Of course, you don't have to mention names. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my success has really come from just a whole lot of networking and not selling. Yeah, I have a, a story that happened pretty recently, actually. I updated my website a couple of weeks ago, and I talked with my dad and my brother, and I said, hey, guys, I want to add something on the website so that people can buy a house from our website in one click. And they click a buy now button, they fill out a short little form, and the contract is sent for that property, and they fill out the contract. Wow. So without any interaction with me or one of my sales reps, somebody can buy a property from my website, right? I went to my dad and my brother, I told them this, and they said, no way that that's going to work. And just as marketing always works, it's never what you think is actually going to happen, actually happens. So I put the little button on the website, and the week later, somebody came to the website that I've never met before. They filled out the form, and I saw the email come through, and I said, what? Somebody actually filled out the form, and they want to buy a house? Yeah. And I didn't recognize their name. They had their phone number and email there. And all I did was send them the contract through an email. And one hour later, they signed the contract. Wow. And I was, I was blown away, right? Um, uh, right. I'm blown away as well. <laughs> wow. So somebody bought a house just from, from never talking to me. Um, and they just came and bought a property. And it was because I had built the brand first. So this person, I reached out to them later on. I said, hey, by the way, how did you, why did you trust us so much? And why... Did you buy a property? You never even asked anything about it. You know, you didn't ask about the neighborhood or um, anything like that. And he said, oh, I was referred to you by one of your past clients. And this house is down the street from his house. So I hmm. thought I should buy it and buy the house next to my friend's house. And I said, okay, it makes sense to me. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty incredible. Something that, you know, that's the way marketing works too. It's, you can never really know exactly how it's going to go. It's, you that's know, right. whether you're pushing out content or, You know, creating a podcast, everybody can kind of take it in a different way. So it's just testing as much as you possibly can to figure out what actually sticks um, to the end consumer. Wow, fantastic. Great story. Thank you. <laughs> the next guest, Josh Stimely, has a very interesting story about failure and success, which is common to a lot of entrepreneurs. And you will hear 
how Joshua's failures with finding the right people is the exact thing that led to his success once he found the right partner. Josh Steinle is an author, speaker, entrepreneur, and executive coach. He has written over 300 articles for publications like Fortune, Time, Forbes, Inc., Mashable, TechCrunch, and Entrepreneur, and is the author of Chief Marketing Officers at Work, which was recognized in Success Magazine as one of the five best business books of 2016. Entrepreneur Magazine put Josh on their 50 inspirational entrepreneurs to watch in 2017 list. Forbes recognized him as one of the 25 marketing influencers to watch in 2017, and he was ranked number seven on Richard Topia's list of top 100 most influential CMOs. Josh lives on a farm near Boston with his wife, two children, and 27 horses, and is an avid reader, trail runner, triathlete, and skateboarder. Josh Steinle, what a real pleasure to have you here. Hi. Thank you, Hyatt. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, it's so great to talk with you. And as I told you before, I was planning to interview you for quite a long time. I see your articles all over and I see what you do and it's fantastic. And I really wanted my listeners to hear about that. So thank you for coming. You've got a lot of successes. You already started to tell us about that and we'll go over it in a minute. But I would like you to share with us what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most? That's a tough one because I've had so many failures. If, if I've had any success, <laughs> I've had 10 times as many failures. And wow. it's, you know, life's interesting. You, especially as an entrepreneur and as somebody who's involved in marketing, you always show off the successful side of what you've done. You trumpet your successes, <laughs> you hide your failures, right? Because you want everybody to, people are drawn to success. And so you want to show off your successes. But this sets up this interesting dynamic where nobody shares their failures. And so you get this impression that everybody is really successful and the people who are all the, all time. the time. And the truth is yeah. everybody who's successful has a bunch of failures behind them. Sure. And it's just nobody wants to talk about it. Well, I'm happy to talk about my failures too because I feel like that's educational. I feel like that's needed in today's environment. There are a lot of people suffering from depression and such. And a lot of it, I think, goes especially in the entrepreneurial community, goes back to the fact that we read these magazines and we think everybody's so successful and that hmm. if there's something wrong with us if we're not successful. I love it. And I've had some success, but I've had so much failure along the way. A lot, Most of my biggest failures, I would say, have to do with people, where I made a bad decision either in hiring the wrong person or in hiring the right person but putting them in the wrong role. Or I hired the right person, maybe I put them in the right role, but the way that I managed them or the way that I set up their relationship was the wrong way. And so, for example, in 1999, I started my first real business, which was MWI, which is the marketing agency that I still run today. Sure. And I brought on a partner after I had known this guy for literally 10 minutes. Oh. After 10 minutes, of meeting this guy, I thought, this guy's great. He's going to be awesome. I should hire this guy. And I offered him 10% of the business. And he became my mm -hmm. partner. And 
over the next three years, it was a nightmare. We did not get along well together. Now, this guy was oh. a good guy. He was not dishonest. He was not, he was not unintelligent. He was a smart guy. In fact, he's gone on after we parted ways. He went on to start a private equity firm that ended up with $3 billion under management. He's got a successful venture capital firm. And he's very, very successful. He's a very smart guy. So obviously, he, it wasn't the mistake wasn't that I hired somebody who was stupid. The mistake was not that I hired somebody who was the wrong fit for the job necessarily. But he and I just didn't get along personality-wise. And also, I was young. I was foolish. I didn't know what I was doing. So I was a poor manager. I was a poor leader. <laughs> and we just clashed a lot. And we ended up having to part ways. And I lost my business over that. I had to start over from scratch. Oh. And so it really cost me in a big way to have hired this guy on. Now, if I had gotten to know him maybe for a week or two or a couple of months or something, I might have seen, you know what? I like this guy, but not enough to make him my partner in my business. Oh, I could have avoided so much pain. I would have saved my business by making a better decision there. But I rushed into that decision based on a gut instinct that, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be great. And it cost me so much. to have made that mistake. So I love this example. Then people are really usually don't talk about and the mistakes or the failures. So it's a wonderful example. Well, I've got a lot more where the, that came from, but <laughs> there, there's my biggest mistake, I think. And um, with time, when you look back today, do you regret it? It's, you know, if I could go back and do things differently, I would do things def- differently sure. 100% because sure. I know better because now. Because you know better. However, I never would have learned these lessons unless I went through what I went through. And so I'm glad for every experience I've been through. I'm glad for what I've learned from it. The, the regrets that I have from my time as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, are... And there aren't a lot of these times, but it's the times that I feel like I treated people the wrong way. Mm. There are just a few moments where I feel like, you know, I, did, I made a decision, I said something to somebody, I treated somebody in a certain way, and I wish I would have done that differently, and I should have known better sure. than to say that or to treat that person that way. Especially instances where something I said or something I did made somebody feel like they were less of a person or not worth as much of a person. Those are the big regrets that I have where I say, I would just cancel that out, no doubt about it. Even then, I guess I could say, I'm glad that I can look back and say, I made that mistake, I've learned from it, I'm not going to do that again in the future or I'll do everything I can to avoid it. Sure. But those are the mistakes that I really regret. Yeah, sure, of course, all of us, we wouldn't be able to be who we are if we didn't have these failures, I guess. And now I would like you to share with us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. Well, this definitely, in terms of financial success, it really goes back to writing for Forbes. And so when I talked about generating millions of dollars from the articles that we, or that I wrote for Forbes magazine, the way that this worked out is... In 2013, I got that opportunity to write for Forbes. I also brought on a partner for my business, Corey Blake. He's my partner today. Mm-hmm. And he had just come on. So right when he came on, I started writing for Forbes. And when I first started writing for Forbes, nothing good was happening. I mean, I was getting attention on my articles. People liked my articles, but it wasn't doing anything for my business. 
And this is because I didn't understand who my audience was and I didn't know how to write for my audience. So after a few months of this, I realized this is taking a lot of time. I'm spending a lot of effort, putting a lot of effort into these articles, and I'm not really getting anything out of it other than that it's fun and it's building my ego up, but it's not generating Mm -hmm. anything for the business. And I can't afford to do this unless it's benefiting the business. So I started looking at this and saying, well, who am I writing for? Who's my audience and who should be my audience? And I realized I was targeting the wrong audience. I was writing for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs don't hire my agency. Of course. So I started saying, well, who is hiring my agency? Well, it's mid-sized to larger businesses mostly. Hmm. And really who I'm looking for is people who are looking to hire marketing agencies. That's my audience. Once I understood that, it totally changed the content I was creating. So instead of writing articles saying, here are all the tough things I've been through as an entrepreneur and how you can avoid these mistakes, instead, I started writing articles saying, here's how to do your marketing if you're an entrepreneur or a small business or a mid-sized business or a Fortune 500 business. Here's how to do search engine optimization. Here's how to invest in content marketing. And then I wrote one article that was the golden one, which was I created an article called four tips on how to hire an SEO firm. And Mm. this article came out of some frustration because here I am running an agency and clients would come to me, potential clients, and we would pitch them. And sometimes they would hire us and sometimes they wouldn't hire us. And sometimes they wouldn't hire us because we weren't the right fit for them. But sometimes they wouldn't hire us. And I knew that we were the best fit for that company. And yet they still didn't hire us. And that was frustrating to me. So I wrote this article to say, hey, when you're hiring an SEO firm, here are the things you should do. You should ask for references. You should make that the firm is the right fit for you. And I explained to people, here's how to hire the right firm. I don't care if they read that article and they don't hire me as long as they're hiring the right agency for them. When I wrote that article, something happened, which was because it was on Forbes, it had a lot of credibility. And so it jumped to the top of Google whenever somebody would search how to hire an SEO firm. Wow. Well, who is typing into Google how to hire an SEO firm? People who want to hire SEO firms. Definitely. So people were saying, hey, I need to hire an SEO firm. They go to Google, they type that in, they find my article on Forbes and they say, hey, this is on Forbes. That's a credible source. They read the Mm -hmm. article. They say, hey, these are good tips. Who is this guy? They find out who I am. Oh, he owns an SEO firm. Well, gee, I like his tips. He's on Forbes. We should just hire this guy's agency. That was the article that really generated the bulk of the results that we got from my articles on Forbes. That article alone, we can trace over $3 million in revenue to that one article that I wrote. So because it tapped into the right audience at the right time, the right way, everything aligned there. And that article has just been wildly successful for us. So if I could point to any one big success in the business, that was it. And it was that alignment of audience, content, and my, what I'm good at, what I know, everything aligned there just perfectly. Hmm. What a beautiful story because it's exactly what you've said. It's when you understood who your customers are. I love that. Pamela Goodwin has lovely stories about her journey in the real estate world and real estate investments. And you will hear how trusting her customer too much led to her failure, but it also led to her very big success. Pamela Goodwin is the founder of Goodwin Commercial, based in Dallas, Texas, a boutique commercial real estate firm 
specializing in developing retail restaurant pet sites like Walgreen, McDonald's, brokerage, investment sales, and consulting services under one roof. Originally from Omaha, Pamela, graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, is a best-selling author, speaker, coach, member, and a contributor with Forbes Real Estate Council. When she isn't working, Pamela enjoys traveling to the beach, staying fit, being a basketball mom, spending time with her family and friends. Pamela Goodwin, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hello. It's so wonderful to be here coming from Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas always sounds so exciting, isn't it? At least for me. I know you've got a lot of successes and we'll get to that in a minute, but I want you to tell us what was your biggest, most critical failure with customers, the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most, or almost the most. So definitely as an entrepreneur, you are going to have a lot of failures mm-hmm. in the One that always keeps coming back to me is just one that you know recently was not documented correctly in real estate as far as you have to be it's such a competitive field that you have to be very protective of your clients to make sure you document that you are representing them and that they don't happen to go off you know and try to do it themselves regarding commissions. but yeah, definitely failures. Once you have a failure, you're definitely you learn quickly from it just to make sure you don't do it again. Can you be more specific with the story? You don't have of course to say any names, but just uh, tell us a bit about the experience, what happened there, and um, how did you learn from that? Working with a client for more than close to a year time frame, it was a retail tenant looking for space. And sometimes because I, I've been doing the business for so long, I can trust people. And sometimes I think document and paperwork can get in the way of relationships right. to a degree, but you still have to be protected. And in this case, I did trust this person too much that he was, we were working one-on-one meeting with the landlord. And then when it came time to sign the deal, the, the lease, He requested half of my commission, which was oh. a complete surprise, which never really happens in too much in our business, but mm. I you know refused to pay him half because it was never you know talked about up front, and then he contacted the landlord telling him that I was no longer representing him. Oh, thank goodness that the landlord still protected me because he mm. knows my reputation here, but it just goes to show you that you definitely. Even though you trust people, you still have to have the correct documents in place to be protected no matter what. Hmm. I love this story. And now I would like you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or relationships or something that you did right about approaching your customers. Well, dealing with one, I, it is always fun to talk about. the success, but sure. one of the biggest success that I'm most proud about is 
really one of the first deals I had worked on building a relationship with a motel owner who owned it since 1950s. And we had a national tenant wanting that. It was a prime corner location for Walgreens. And I must have spent at least two years with with a trip almost every week a 90-mile one-way trip, you know, to go visit him. And it took almost two years of building trust before he finally sold his motel for us. And now there's a, you know, brand-new Walgreens in that space. (laughs) But that one is like persistence and building a relationship. But he would not sell that motel to anyone. And it took, you know, that. um, It was interesting, the amount of relationship to build that up and finally for him to sell it to us. It's amazing because if you think about it, you can think, oh, I start, he said, no, let's, let's set apart. And really, I think if you believe in something, if you're going for that, if you build a relationship, it's so interesting because I think that a lot of times, especially when it has to do with real estate, people don't think that people are going to change their minds or that there is some place for pressure. It's like the most of the game is uh, well known ahead, isn't it? And you prove uh, you prove it to be wrong. It's all about timing, and you know, with anything with your customers. And my motto is never give up, and the other one is to find a way. So those are two that I always constantly live by, and especially in real estate, timing is everything. And it's just a matter of fact of, I always say, everything in real estate is for sale. <laughs> and so it's just, it's just timing and then, and then just keeping at it and not giving up. And so that's happened with, you know, once I learned on that project with that customer, I, you know, continue and, you know, continue to do that with other projects. So as working with customers, just to stay in there, because they tell you, you still have to touch your customer, what, eight to 10 times or just to keep, you know, after them. And then, and then they finally, you know, at some point it's time to go. I love it. And I love some of your quotes here, like in real estate, everything is for sale. Oh, timing is everything. I love it. And we'll for sure put it in social media and people probably will find things to identify it with. My last guest to talk about his failure and success is Lance Cooler. Lance has a beautiful story. And again, we will find the human factor within his biggest failure and also what led him to succeed. Lance Schuller, the savvy navigator, has been involved in international trade and transport for 50 years. In 2008, Lance started receiving invitations from students in his export and import classes to connect with them on both Facebook and LinkedIn. Over the last nine years, he has developed and expanded his social media networks exponentially, especially LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, and Bibi, and those of a selected group of clients in a variety of sectors, both locally and globally. The results have been significant. Lance is now in the process of doing a 180-degree business pivot, refocusing away from social media consulting 
back to what he does best, international trade and transport training. He is soon to launch an online course, Import-Export Made Easy, in video and audio, as well as the Import-Export Made Easy podcast. Lance Kula, how are you? Hi. Hi, ho. Hi, Ed. Welcome from Sydney, Australia, the land down under. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to ask you, It doesn't matter whether it was uh, during the old days or today or uh, mm. because I believe, like you said, just said that a customer is a customer. And I would like to ask you, what was your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your uh, career or business or entrepreneurial journey the most or one of them? Yeah, well, I've had quite a number of them. <laughs> as, as, I've listened, as I've listened to a lot of your, uh, the people have come on your program, most of us have a number of failures, if not many of them. But one that comes to mind... Yeah, I think the successful people has a lot of uh, failures as well. It's yeah. the only way to succeed, isn't that? I think so. I think it's a learning situation. It's, it's the, instead of going to a unit, I never went to university, but uh, it's the University of Hard Knocks. <laughs> trial and error so look I'm going to share something it's a it's a bit hard for me in one sense I have shared it with a few times and I've actually explained with a bit of a backstory what happened back in 2007 and 2008 I was running my own course at Sydney Community College as well as others but I was also asked to be a guest presenter at the Sydney Community College two courses for young entrepreneurs yeah one was called the Go Start Up Biz was for people that were thinking about starting up a business and they could attend that to get good advice on, you know, what to do. And the second one was Go Young Biz. It was basically people in business, young people in business, to improve what they were doing. And so I spoke yeah. at both of these things and I would often talk about import-export but also many other things from my own experience. So on one particular night, the group that I was uh, with – They were sharing their business story so far and the facilitator Jackie Williamson asked what I would yeah. like to share with this young enthusiastic group now though some of them were doing amazing things and I didn't want to take away from it but hey and I think today if you would agree but the term entrepreneur is often put on a pedestal and shows like the hmm. shark tank there's one in the USA but we have one here in Australia and It often gives yeah. the impression that almost anyone can become an entrepreneur. The reality is, though, it's not yeah. possible. And if you follow Gary Vaynerchuk at all, Gary V, he's been talking mm-hmm. about sure. this for the last year or saying there's people that are committing suicide because they failed and they didn't know how to cope with it. So back in 2008 with this group of people, this is before Gary Vaynerchuk uh, talking about it, <laughs> yeah. I shared with them and I felt compelled to. share with them what I consider the worst day of my life or worst night of my life and that was a night back in October 1999 and was the night that I realized I had let down my most important client and you might ask who was that who was that that client was my my business partner but more importantly that person was Sandy and Sandy was and still is my wife and that night I went up to our bedroom and Yeah. And Sandy was sitting on the side of the bed and she was crying inconsolably. I, I tried all sorts of things to comfort her, but nothing I could do or say would ease her pain. 
And that night was the last night in our house that we'd built 26 years previously. And she sobbed at me. I thought I would be taken out of our home in a box. And what she meant by that, a funeral casket. In other words, she figured her whole life would be spent in this house and she would only leave to be buried. Oh. What happened is the bank that we used, and at this point of time, I had gone from my customs broking uh, situation to, in 97, I started a course for the Australian Federation of International Forders, a sea freight procedures course, which I took around to the capital cities of Australia. So I did these courses, my import-export courses on a Saturday, because I could be travelling around Australia through the week. Anyway, the bank that we had our overdraft with, they sent me a letter saying, you have to pay up right now. No no ifs or buts, you know, this is it. In their contract, they had the right to do that. Now, at the moment, we've got a, a royal commission. The government has set up a royal commission into the banking and finance industry in Australia, and banks have been doing all sorts of terrible things. And I don't know if my case would have been in that situation, oh. but it doesn't matter, it's happened. So we had to sell our much-loved home, and with two of our three children, one of them had was working elsewhere, and two cats and our dog, we had to move in with some good friends of ours who were themselves renting at the time. Oh. So that was, that was uh, you might call a valley for us. It was a terrible time. Sure. Um, and it was basically because I had not paid too much attention to the bank and trying to reduce our overdraft, I guess. I missed the part of where the customer was there. Well, Did you talk about yourself as a customer here? I talked about my wife because she was a partner in my business yeah. and I wasn't caring and protecting and guiding her correctly. Hmm. I was too concerned about our clients and I didn't concern... I, I'm looking from the point of view, she was my client as my wife. Yeah, and as your partner, sure. And I think in a way it's taking care of the people that are part of our business life the same as we are taking care of our customers, isn't it? It is. And in that time we had no employees. I, In a previous business failure I had employees and I had to put them off. So what I'm saying to people that are thinking about starting yeah. a business and you yeah. employ people, you have a duty of care to those people in your business as well as yourself. Yeah, and I think you're saying also that your responsibility to your family, whether they are partners in your business or not, exactly, is uh, probably what will allow you... Um, actually, it's what we are doing the business for, isn't it? It is. Hmm. And uh, I think I'd lost sight of that to some extent. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that story. It's sad, but I know we have a, a good end, isn't that? Or a good continuation of the story, isn't that? Well, it is. I would like to ask you, what is the biggest success due to something that you did right with your customers? And it's also okay to refer to your employees or to your partners as your customers. Yes, yeah, so as I said, I was actually a trainer for the Australian Federation of International Forwarders, and I was as I said, I was training. Yeah. So my courses were three-day courses and I would take them around to the different capital cities. Well, the five states of Australia, the mainland five states, were the main ports and airports for cargo coming in and out of the country. So yeah. in a sense, the freight forwarders that sent their staff to these courses 
were my clients, although I was employed by AFIF, the Freight Forwarders Federation. So that was October that I just shared with you. The next yeah. night, which was possibly, in a sense, one of the better nights of my life, I was enjoying the Christmas party put on by the Federation for trainers yeah. and staff. And there's probably only about 15 people there. We had, there's a few trainers, a few head office staff, probably about five people. So we had a nice Christmas event at a restaurant. And I got up to say goodnight yeah. to Brian Lovell, who was the CEO and still is, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and I said, thanks very much. You know, thanks for all this year. Um, and he'd been very supportive when this sad event happened. He'd been very supportive of me. Then he said to me, come yeah. and see me tomorrow. And I said, why would I want to do that? Because as a trainer, I didn't attend the office per se. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, sure. I would like to talk to you about GST, the goods and services tax. And I said, why would I want to do that, Brian? Um, tax and financial things isn't part of my <laughs> DNA. Even though I've been in business, it's not something that, that really impresses me. So he, what was happening, this was 1999, it was December, and on yeah. the 1st of July 2000, six months away, the then government was going to introduce a new tax system called the Goods and Services Tax, GST. And yeah. the government was setting up a fund to train different industry groups so that when it was introduced, they would know, you know, those businesses would know what to do. And so what he asked yeah. me to do was, one, to apply to the GST Startup Assistance Office for funding, which meant then I had to put in a proposal of what we would do, who we would apply it to. And the first of all was for our members freight forwarders, the people that organise the transport in and out of the country for imports and exports. But the lady that yeah. I spoke with at the GST Startup Assistance Officer, her name was Gina, I can't remember her last name, but she said, look, can you cast the, the audience to a wider audience? Those that are not just transporting goods, what about importers and exporters and customs brokers and airlines and shipping lines? So what I did is I then said, okay, I can do that. And I've always been a great believer in collaboration and working with a team of people mm. to do things. So what I did is I, I also, we'd actually been approached uh, by some people from the tax office in the transport area, said, we don't know much about international, we know about trucks and taxis in Australia, but we don't know about international trade. So they approached us to get an understanding. I then approached them, would you provide Australian tax office speakers to be at our events and co-present with me. And they agreed to do that. So it was great. And then I worked with the Australian Institute of Export, the Australian Federation of Shipping, people that you know run ships, liner shipping services. You've probably heard of IATA, the International Air Transport Association. Sure. Lots of people, when they book through travel agents, those travel agents are generally members of IATA. Well, the cargo division, mm -hmm. in fact, the CEO of the cargo division came to Brian and myself and said, would you come and speak at our monthly meeting about GST? When I arrived there with my projector and my laptop, I thought it was their monthly meeting and GST would be just one little section of their, you know, we'll now have a talk about GST. I said, when do you want me to start my presentation? He said, no, Lance. You are the presentation. 
everyone has come here to listen and, and see what you've got to say about GST. We've got all the airlines coming. Wow. And really excitingly, they've brought their professional outsource accounts like PricewaterhouseCooper, KPMG. And I'm not a, an expert on tax at all. I'm not, you know, not even very good with tax. But what I had done, and what happened is I gave the presentation, quaking in my boots, sweat pouring off my brow, because I'm thinking these are, you know, extremely high people from airlines and, you know, big five accounting firms. And I'm just sure. trying to explain in simple terms, in layman terms, this stuff. What happened? A guy from PricewaterhouseCooper came up to me afterwards. He said, Lance, that was the simplest explanation of GST I've ever heard. And it makes sense to the ordinary person. <laughs> so that was a, a bit of a, a boost for me. <laughs> sure. So what, what it meant is, as, and I had people come up to me around Australia saying they'd been to, you know, many of the tax accountants were giving seminars, but they couldn't understand what they're talking about because of all the jargon. I couldn't use the jargon because oh. I didn't know what it was. I had to just explain it in simple, everyday working man's terms. And, that, and it worked. And it worked because people were basically just small business people or even big businesses. They just wanted to know what it meant in nuts, you know, very simple terms so they could then go apply it in their business. Wow. What was the result that you gained out of that? That seminar, there was 47 of those in three months. I did it from April to June. Whoa. And so what I was able to do is if you think of – My clients, in inverted commas, or customers, if you like, were all the people that attended from all sorts of – from farmers to manufacturers to government officials to a whole range of people that I was able to explain in simple terms so that people could understand and then go to their accountants and say, how do we do this? How do we you – know, on the 1st of July, how do we start working in this new scheme that, that the government has brought in and the tax, Australian tax office is going to implement? How do we do it? And so I felt a great sense of accomplishment that I was able to help those people to understand what they had to do and then go and do it. And it takes us back to the care, protect and guide exactly. that you just talked about. Exactly, yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hayat. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye now. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.